0: is an excellent student, but frankly, I'm concerned. You see, this is our class bulletin board. Uh, This month, our theme is our heroes, people we love and admire. You see, Susan Ringo has chosen the president. Isn't that sweet? And Harmony Fell has picked Jane Pauley. Have you spoken to her parents? But Wednesday brought in this picture calpurnia adams wednesday's great aunt calpurnia she was burned as a witch in 1706 they say she danced naked in the town square and enslaved a minister really oh yes don't worry we've told wednesday college first lights camera action welcome back to another episode of happy hour films as you all know i am ross bacon i'm joined by my co-host mike mcguigan makes a hi. how's everyone doing And as you should know by now, we are two guys who drink and we talk about movies now. We are in a post-universal classic horror monsters world. But we're not quite into a November schedule world. We are in between. And our theme for next month will be a fun little game that we've devised called MomCom Roulette. It involves my wife and my daughter, turns out, picking a bunch of movies for us to watch. Some of which we may like, some of which may kill us. but We have an in-between here, so we figured we'd do the combination of horror and comedy, and we'd do some horror comedies, or at least some parodies, satires. Um, Cabin in the Woods isn't so much a comedy as it is more of a satire or parody of the genre, and like the tropes and everything, but we'll be talking about 1991's Adam's Family, the OG. I'm definitely going to bring up Adam's Family Values as well. Uh, cabin in the woods, and then we're going to talk about. Uh, I was, was it this year or last year? I believe it was last year's uh, movie, The Blackening. And, um, Mike and I had quite a bit of fun watching that one. That one was absolutely oh, hilarious. So fucking funny. <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. But before we get into that, we got to talk about what we're drinking. So, Mike, what do you got?
1: All right. So, went the other end of the fall flavor spectrum away from pumpkin to apple pie. Oh. I have an Apple Pie Kolsch from Stoneyard Brewing, which I think is in New York.
0: Sure. We 5%.
1: Right. And it's a good light beer with a nice hint of apple and cinnamon.
0: Nice, nice. Let's see. I mean, I feel like I've had Stoneyard before.
1: That's I looked it up, and it's like linked to a pub in New York State, I think, so...
0: Let's see. Stoneyard Brewing is in Rochester. Yeah. Sager Stoneyard Pub, apparently it says. But yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. And, uh, yep. All right. So, since it's in between for me, and I did a gigantic, uh, fridge clean out. I'm doing, going back to some of my Oktoberfest favorites, and the first of which will be Bone Toberfest from Bonesaw Brewing and Glassboro. 5.9%. It's their classic Oktoberfest Weissen. And it's, um, Bonesaw's always got great beers. And their, uh, their Oktoberfest is very, very delicious. So that said, let's get into movie number one the adams family from 1991 directed by legendary Benny barry sonnenfeld and this movie has been my daughter's go-to this and the new cartoons with um Charlie theron and oscar isaacs as uh, morticia and gomez and uh chloe grace moretz is wednesday and she plays a great wednesday um but yeah, I fucking love the
1: 1991 Adams Family. It's it's so, so good. good,
0: God, it's great. And I I watched the 4K, which is the more mamushka edition. <laughs> so the mamushka is like a couple minutes longer, <laughs> but it's mostly just Gomez like saying different people that they dance the mamushka for. <laughs> but it's and there's like a couple other extra lines, but it's it's so good. I mean, just right off the bat we are starting our movie with some Christmas carolers getting boiling hot oil for
1: (laughs) This movie getting... So this is, like, PG-13, and it's, like, a pretty hard PG-13.
0: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. I mean... Which
1: apparently pays way more homage to, like, the original source material, which was super fucking dark and, like kind of morbid, and I love it because they're fucking unhinged. yet somehow the healthiest family in movies.
0: They're the most loving, supportive family of each other. There, There is not dysfunction among them. The only dysfunction in this movie is them trying to figure out Fester, you know, even though because... He has technically been away in the Bermuda Triangle. He was lost for 25 years, and he came back as a different person, but it turns out he had amnesia, so that's why he was a different person, you know? But it's it's just great because the, the casting of this movie, just right there, right off the bat, you get the casting perfect. Pretty much the rest of the movie is, like, just a cakewalk. And I fucking
1: cool. love Christopher Lloyd.
0: Christopher Lloyd's Fester is amazing. Raul Julia obviously is my favorite. as Gomez? He is absolutely hilarious. Wednesday is legendary. Christina Ricci is Wednesday is a legendary casting right there. Um, Angelica Houston is Morticia. Uh, then there's even like little Jimmy Workman, who I don't believe did anything else uh, as Pugsley. He's great, and um, and I believe the late great Carol Struckin. Um, he plays Lurch. Uh, he He's phenomenal as well. But it it really cracks me up, though, because, like you said, this thing is so dark. The source material is so dark. You know where they're originally supposed to be, right? No. Westfield, New Jersey. <laughs> they're supposed to be up north. <laughs> and it's pretty wild because in the, cart- the new cartoons... That's like a point for them. Like they're fleeing the old country and end up in New Jersey. And it's uh and that's like part of the joke. But the thing is, like Charles Adams, when he created the cartoon, based like the entire look of everything off of his town of Westfield, which is like a bunch of Victorian, like old Victorian mansion style houses.
1: Yeah, it's and like a the bunch of graveyards. New type of place.
0: Yeah, and then like a bunch of graveyards. So it's like the two match together perfectly. But it's, it's, it's great because, you know, see this being in New Jersey. <laughs> I absolutely could see this being in New Jersey. <laughs>
1: yeah, and of course, like you bring up Adam's family, people are going to look at Wednesday now because that was probably the biggest show on Netflix for a few months in the last year.
0: Absolutely. And I am I apologize to Carl Strucky and I killed him prematurely. He's still very much alive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he is not he's just great, not late.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's just great. Yeah. yeah. Late great Raul Julia. Raul Julia is definitely no longer with us. And uh yeah, he's he's phenomenal. Then of course there's Dan Hidea as Tully. <laughs> yeah. Be careful with that Gomez, It's not just literature. <laughs> I, I try to use that line in my daily life and it's just fun. <laughs> So, I this movie
1: is so great because you get a lot of focus on, so Wednesday and Fester steal the show for me. Now, everyone Absolutely. is great, but Wednesday and Fester, like, there's a reason that there was, like, a mini arc in Wednesday where it's just her and Fester.
0: Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, it's, uh, what's his name? Fred Ormison in the show, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't he? Yeah, because I remember I watched the first episode of the show and I was like, "Keep going with this," and I never did. <laughs> I just never went back to it. And like Luis Guzman as Mort, like as um, uh, Gomez makes sense. And then like Catherine Zeta Jones Morticia is like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But Angelica Houston is so much better.
1: <laughs> yeah, Angelica Houston is the perfect Morticia
0: even when you watch the new cartoons with charlie Starren, like charlie starin has a great voice for it, like she's really does like a morticia voice and it's like yeah that, that fits like, that definitely tracks you know but what cracks me up is did you happen to see who was allegedly offered the role of fester first no anthony hopkins oh god <laughs> I spent a... a joy, minute, terrifying, I, Pastor. Oh, my God. he would be horrifying. Because this, I believe, is a year after Silence of the Lambs. I think... And I know it's the same year as Silence of the Lambs. So, imagine that. You got Hannibal Lecter playing Fester uh, Adams in the same year. That would have been truly terrifying. And so, that would have... If Silence of the Lambs came out in February. Let's see. The Adams family... Came out in uh, uh, gonna need that information somewhere. Okay, but I mean, <laughs> just imagine that. Like, okay, we're gonna go see this family film. Fester shows up. Oh my god, it's Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> uh, November, so it would have been February, November.
1: <laughs> well, Fester is like a—he's like a light-hearted potential serial killer. <laughs>
0: oh yeah oh no he is he and Gomez definitely have a legit body <laughs> Gomez uh as we as far as we know has possibly killed at least one woman because um Debbie the character of Debbie played by um oh, Joan Cusack he says well isn't he a lady killer and he says oh acquitted <laughs> he's got this big smile on his face. <laughs> I mean, of course, in this one, it's um the dark the, comedy like,
1: hits so hard. It's hilarious.
0: It's great, yeah. And in this one, Gomez has the line, "But I didn't hate my mother; it was an accident."
1: <laughs> 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 right.
0: What really cracks me up, though, is some of the just like the misdirected, like the misdirection humor. Basically, like you think they're going one way, and then it's it turns the lead. the punchline is something different, and. What even cracks me up are like the little things as well, like the little lines where if you listen to Dr. Pendersloss's story about how she found Fester in like the Bermuda Tuna Net and all that. And did you catch who actually does the psychological tests on Fester? No. It's the Florida Department of Fishing Game. <laughs> She's like, in the Florida Department of Fish and the Game, they gave him the okay. And I was like, wait, what? they have a a licensed medical doctor or psychologist on staff to be able to do this? And how many times did they run into this scenario that that man's employed?
1: So, it's a couple things I read into when they were, like, trying to make this. Apparently, they offered it to, like, they wanted to get either Terry Gilliam or, uh, or, oh, God, like, I think, Tim Burton to direct it. But they both hated the script. And apparently... Barry Sonnenfeld hated the script, but, like, got tweaks to it.
0: Yeah, they were, like, apparently they were rewriting a lot, like, while they were while they were filming. Apparently this movie was kind of a nightmare to film. Um,
1: and the cast like, is who demanded Fester be actually Fester, just with amnesia. Originally, yeah. he was not going to be Fester, but the family was just going to enjoy him so much that they adopt him into the family.
0: Yeah, which kind of takes it away, you know? It's you really lose all of that, like the actual history that Gomez and Fester have in that yeah. case, which with the wooing of the Amor twins, you know, and their camp. Uh, what was the camp? Uh, the camp for preteen offenders, <laughs> Camp Kostler, that's what it was for preteen offenders. And uh, yeah, it's man, this is such an also like a classic movie just for culture because Wednesday Addams was obviously around thanks to the TV show in the 60s but sh- that show was overshadowed by the monsters you know the everybody remembers the monsters and the Adamson family was like oh it's the Addams family but then when this movie hit i think the mainstream public was like you know what now we like the addams family now these are viable people that we want and they, hang out
1: they, it's with. such a big part of like goth culture and stuff like that
0: Absolutely, yeah, Wednesday and Morticia are just icons of the golf, the golf world, you They've know? They've
1: even become, like, LGBTQ+, plus whatever, icons. Yes.
0: It's, and it's like, you look at all of the... You look at the style of Morticia. Now, Graham, Morticia was in 64. Then there was um, Vampyra. And then, of course, Elvira shows up in the 80s. And they all have the same look. It's just Elvira's got, you know... The much bigger boobs, <laughs> but she, her whole gag is the whole, you know, the dark mistress of the night, the like the like the uh, the busty Morticia, basically, you know. Yeah. And it's just kind of like it has that that look is just perpetuated throughout. They you know, all culture have since. like
1: the bride of Frankenstein ish,
0: they just don't have the hair, you know. Yeah, yeah it's 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 great, it really is. And it cracks me up because this is the kind of humor that I absolutely love. Like, this is the dark, like, dark comedy that I absolutely love. And um, it's just like when, when Morticia is walking faster through the graveyard and she stops at the one that has the family crest on it and she reads it in Latin and she's like, We gladly feast on those who would subdue us. Not just pretty words. <laughs> you
1: know, watching this, it made the line from. Like I feel like this humor aligns perfectly with the line from American Psycho. Like, oh, what what exactly do you do? Oh, I'm in murders and
0: executions. <laughs> right, yeah. Except it wouldn't be misheard. You yeah. know? <laughs> it wouldn't be a mergers and acquisitions joke. It'd be a literal murders and executions. And and that's that's one of the gags when we're walking through the uh, the cemetery and she's pointing at the different people and then she points out to whatever is a great uncle, whoever. It's the executioner, mm-hmm. and you think it's gonna be like he was executed by whatever. It's like no, he was burned by burned alive by an angry mom or something like that. And it was like, oh wait, he was the executioner.
1: <laughs> yeah. And every movie I ever watch with Christopher Lloyd, I always think to the John Mulaney sketch. I'm like, is this guy 40 or 80? <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. And you just never know with that guy. Because obviously in what, eighty five back to the future. You know, and you look at him in that, he's granted, he's still a fairly young man. He's not a young, young man, but he's younger. And then you see him, what, six years later in this and you go, man, I I can't get a handle on this guy's age. You know, I just can't do it. (laughs) He loves to disappear behind makeup, you know? (laughs) And then who framed Roger Rabbit? So he was like
1: 55, probably when they were filming this.
0: Yeah. And then, like, obviously who frame Roger Rabbit was how many years? Like, a couple years before this, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that 88, 87, or 88? Maybe yeah. 89. But yeah, you know, it's then, of course, you know, obviously the biggest, the biggest success from all this, because Angelica Houston was already famous. Raul Julie already had a career, you know, first for Lloyd, obviously huge. Mm-hmm. But then there's Christina Ricci as this like child actress that just wandered like like waltzes onto this screen. One of the best child actress performances ever. She steals it. And apparently, I'm trying to think what it was. It might have been the story of them making the decision to make Fester part of the actual family, but with amnesia. Apparently, the cast came together, chose Christina Ricci to be the one to talk to Sonnenfeld about it. And she gave this, like, impassioned speech about why it should be this way. He was like, you know what? I'm with you. Oh, like I do and I agree <laughs> it's like she's like 10.
1: <laughs> yeah she's 10 playing the perfect little psychopath like if I was her parents when this movie came out I'd be like oh oh do we have to get her tested <laughs> yeah,
0: she's she's either the greatest actress ever or we have to worry you know <laughs> and of course in absolutely values shes it's only two years later but He's you get grown. the Native
1: American scene, which is fucking hilarious.
0: Yep, nope, where she's yeah, she turns on um, she turns on uh, Amanda Buckley. And, uh, yeah, and they just burn the whole place, <laughs> burn the whole camp to the ground. But it's it's so great because she's so deadpan and so chilling as Wednesday and. You never get the idea that like little kid actors can be this great, like in movies like this. Like you just expect them to be like good little kids, but she is playing a full on character, and she is going and she nails every last beat of it. Especially the when Amanda when Amanda Buckman shows up in this movie as the Girl Scout, and uh, she uh, Wednesday and Pugsy are selling their lemonade, and she's like, is it made out of fresh lemonade? Because I only drink fresh and organic fruits and all that." He's like, I'll buy a cup if you buy a box of my delicious Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> Wednesday responds with, "Are they made from real Girl Scouts?" <laughs> and she's got that dead look in her eyes, and then she gets like disappointed when she walks away. And there's a, there's another scene when they're in the hotel, and Wednesday, uh, Morticia's talking to the family, and oh, Gomez is behind him watching TV, and uh, Wednesday's eating like Froot Loops or Tricks or something like that, like a normal kid cereal. And she takes a bite, and she gets this look on her face, like it's the most disgusting thing she's ever eaten. And she just has to kind of like choke it down. (laughs) Given that she's seen playing with like an amorphous purple like blob as her dinner one night, (laughs) it's just she nails like the out of the fish out of water like reactions to things, you know. But obviously, the normal things that would disgust Wednesday, (laughs) you know, and make every other normal kid happy
1: yeah i mean that's all the, this show is, or this movie it's just like all right what if this super loving family was just super morbid all the time and hated anything normal
0: <laughs> but we're like happy about it you know yeah. like everything was just that was great for them like mortish cutting the heads off the roses mm-hmm. it's, just, it's so good and, and
1: again this movie is like the perfect adaptation of the source material because PG-13 of the 90s is R of the 2020s and you were allowed to go off hit, like completely completely off the hinges.
0: <laughs> yeah it was it was a different time man it was a better time. The 90s were so unhinged but they made us made us better. <laughs> they made us better and uh well, like, the only thing that I will say this movie doesn't have is what Adam Family value has values has is Joan Cusack, uh, yeah. Like she she is so perfect as Debbie, it's amazing. And that, that really is like the only thing that that's missing with this movie, but it's still absolutely great. And of course, the Mumushka is legendary. <laughs> so that's probably enough about us gushing about the the Adam Family. Mike, how is your beer?
1: It's really good. I could definitely have a lot of these. Like if I was this is like super easy drinking, tastes good with the apples, not overbearing. It's great.
0: Nice. And nice. Ditto. <laughs> but um uh yeah, my bone toberfest from bone salt is delicious as well. Now let's jump ahead ten yeah, uh, ten years. How many years? Twenty years, twenty years. Let's move ahead twenty years to Cabin in the woods. Wait, heard oh, speaking Octo-
1: Wait, speaking of Oktoberfest, my uh, Halloween costume last night, I was wearing later Hovens. <laughs> <Lederhovens. Nice.
0: laughs> there you go. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, now we're in Cabin in the Woods, 2011. Directed by Drew Goddard, but unfortunately also creatively involving Joss Whedon, who, as everyone knows now, sucks. You know, and it's not just, you know, that's a shame too because even though he sucks and sucks hard this movie is still pretty great like it's still pretty it's a great watch it's and but the good thing is it's not filled with like that Joss Whedon dialogue like there's some little hints in there that's like a little bit of creative writing but it doesn't have like the I don't know, just, it doesn't have, like, that Avengers, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like, dialogue for some reason, and...
1: Yeah.
0: And it's all the better for it, obviously, but just the idea of this of this movie taking down all of the slasher tropes, and horror movie tropes in general, when we see the international, um, uh, what is it, what are they called, the rituals or whatever, and for the american ritual it's a slasher movie that you have to survive or you have to you have to participate in and all of the archetypes the virgin the whore the athlete the fool and uh then the scholar is the other one and since everything's being manipulated behind their like behind the scenes and everything by um richard jenkins and uh bradley whitford it's it's such a great idea, and the way they executed it is so fun, because it also happened to give us, thanks to the lovely, Nightmare year of 2020, it gave us the meme of the what's next on the disaster board kind of meme, <laughs> like, who had, you know, for 2020 or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, you get the lot. <laughs> it's, it's like, no, you had zombies. This is redneck zombies. <laughs> this is
0: <laughs> redneck, redneck zombie burger zombie. family. <laughs> Yeah, redneck murder zombie family or whatever you've had regular zombies Then of course um, what's his name, oh what the hell, it's Bradley Woodford's character
1: he, he wants the mermaid, um,
0: the merman, yeah the merman he finally gets his merman and uh it's Hadley, Hadley's the character's name yeah, cause he always bets on the merman the merman never goes, even though apparently his item in the basement is that conch shell that's almost blown, he's like up to his mouth it's like we almost got it but it's it really cracks me up because and it's unfortunate because it's both a trope and something that you know joss whedon made her do the opening scene of uh, of the virgin is her packing uh, her suitcase in her underwear and you know it's like okay that is an 80s slasher trope yes that for some reason girls are always hanging out in their underwear. But Joss Whedon is also the one writing the scene, so you know he was like, No, it's gotta be in here. <laughs> That's what they would do in the movie in the slasher, and no, there's no other reason. I'm not a creep <laughs> that just wants to see her in her underwear.
1: Now, I gotta wonder the Japanese the Japanese one with a bunch of little school kids. Are they not all virgins? Are who's the, the stoner? Who's the stoner?
0: <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Every other ritual is a different horror trope. So the Japanese one is like the ring, basically. It's like it's that haunted, like, child ghost that they always have in the Grudge and all that.
1: Do they not need specific tropes in it? Like, what were the Japanese character tropes?
0: Well, that's the thing. Like, I guess if you watch enough Japanese horror, you probably would notice some tropes or whatever, but... The even funnier one is the Argentina one. Did you happen to catch the Argentina one? It's nah. like this giant bull kaiju. So it's kind of like a monk, like a King Kong scenario almost. <laughs> and then there's, I believe it's, um, is it Madrid? I think it's Madrid. That from what I read, you can't really tell, but it's like a castle's on fire. From what I read, it's supposed to be like a Dracula type of theme. So it's it's that kind of trope. But I was like, oh, I was like, oh, okay. And then I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, would Australia's, if there was one, be like, what's that, like Wolf Creek or something? You know, <laughs> like, like one Australia's kind of,
1: was Mad Max.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was just saying we like Mad Max or something like that. Or do you have to have like a horror base in your country <laughs> to be able to, you know, participate in this? Unlike although, and
1: does every country get their own stone tablet?
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's 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 so great because the best ones, I would love to see the Japanese one. Like, I really would. I would love to see the Japanese one because all these little kids that end up taking down this dose by, like, singing or whatever.
1: And it seems like <laughs> none of them got killed or anything. Nope. So, like, they, had a, a, they were
0: prepared. It's a, yeah, it's a very bloodless ritual for them, apparently. But... Apparently they before that had a perfect record too. Like they were they were always killing these kids off I'm guessing. If it's always the same one.
1: The other thing that I thought of with the Japanese one was ghost stories.
0: Oh god. <laughs> that would be great.
1: <laughs> oh god, like that unhinged dub. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. would be hilarious if you actually heard them like getting voiced over and it was just a ghost stories dub.
0: That would be hilarious. I would absolutely love that. That would be funny <laughs> as hell.
1: That's like, you just hear the one girl call someone else like a little retard.
0: <laughs> I mean, then again, there's obviously there, we're dancing around the big Australian elephant in a room. Chris Hemsworth. This would have been, I believe, his debut in American movies. But, it got, this movie got pushed. And it got pushed because apparently, I think it was what, it it was something having to do with, you know, rights or something like that. And there was something else going, but either way, it got pushed. And then Thor came out and Hemsworth became huge. So, then it was like, oh, let's release it now and try to capitalize on this. But, The thing is, Chris Hemsworth just needs to be Chris Hemsworth or attempting to get a British accent. accent. That American accent is fighting for its life against the native Australian tongue trying to make its way out of that (laughs) man. He sounds like someone perfectly, it's like when black comedians do white guy voices. Yeah. Except this is like if if like a British or Australian person was like making fun of an American accent. <laughs> it, <laughs> it almost reminds kind of me of
1: Gerard Butler doing his American accent.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, American Mike is uh we've we made movies refers to him. <laughs> he's always some American guy. It's <laughs> so just it's like then I sent I sent Mike the uh the uh, the clip from Tropic Thunder. You're Australian, be Australian. <laughs> Excuse me, Kangaroo Jack. And then there's there's the different um the different stereotypes. There is the virgin, obviously the the the, the athlete, which is for Hemsworth character. But apparently, because they manipulate him with pheromones and various different things, apparently, like the all of these people are are just good kids. Like they're smart college kids. Like Hemsworth is like a sociology major, they say, and apparently he's like a really smart guy. And then the fool is kind of what cracks me up because he is your typical stoner, regardless of the scenario. And it yeah. turns out the weed that they had been that they they somehow slipped to him was tainted and was making him actually like immune to all of their tricks. Now the question is, there's also the malfunction of the uh the the um the tunnel not collapsing. And even like uh, in maintenance, they're like, "Look, we didn't get the signal, or something like that," you know, and something went wrong from upstairs. And it's like Richard Jenkins is like, "Wait, what do you mean upstairs?" So the real question is here, and they don't even they don't even pursue it. Was this like an inside job by Sigourney Weaver, almost? Even though it doesn't make sense with her little speech at the end, it's like, did they want the world to end because this they were kind of setting up this ritual to fail, you know, or was it like? interference from japan or like a bet or something like that like what was going on like we never get the explanation for that
1: that i also want to know like if one of the rituals succeed like do they do all the rituals at the same time
0: apparently yeah apparently not
1: because
0: well no they do they should they show them doing the same time because um the girl comes in from chemistry the, the chemist comes in and she even says that japan failed and then they cut to, like, the live feed. They have the live feeds of a couple of them going at one point. Like, Japan's live feed is actually is always going, so at least Japan's going at the same time. But the real question is, like... like
1: if one succeeds, does everyone else just get to take vacation?
0: Do you just stop? <laughs> what do you do? Like, if Japan succeeded, do you just let these kids fuck in this cabin in the woods and let them go, you know? Right, <laughs> do they... Do?
1: Now, the one line that always bothered me at the end was like, I don't think he even has an uncle. Uh,
0: I don't think Kurt even has a cousin. Yeah, that's that sign. Well, I was like, Yeah, it's like, you should have thought of that from the beginning.
1: <laughs> yeah, your, he should have thought of that from the beginning. Like,
0: <laughs> right, exactly. He should have known that. <laughs> Yeah, you never think of that. Okay, like, yeah. Cousin
1: I've never met, and no one in the family has heard of. I'll go to your cabin.
0: <laughs> of course, I will go there with my American friends. <laughs> I'm definitely not Australian.
1: <laughs> All right, it's like the episode of South Park where they do the dodgeball, and the the Asian to the Chinese announcers are like, "Hang on, you want to know what a double American sounds like? I'll use my credit card." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then,
0: one of the things that really does, of cracks me up, is the, and I would like to see more of, like, the office culture that goes on in this ritual, uh, the ritual company with Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins. It's so funny when they have Mordecai, the uh, the harbinger, on the phone, mm-hmm. and he's going on and on, he's like, wait, am I on speaker? <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry, Mordecai, yeah, I guess you are, I'll take you off. And he pretends to take a long the speakerphone, then he keeps going, and then he stops again. He's like, "He's like, wait, Mike still on speakerphone?" Oh god, damn it. And, uh, <laughs> no, Morty! It's like, I can't believe I did it again. No, come on, tell us what happens next. <laughs> they're all just losing their mind, and then like the various different like explaining to um the new intern like why he um if he wins his bet, he has to split it with maintenance, you know, and he's like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. Oh, fine, whatever. <laughs>
1: just like just the
0: day-to-day, like, interns, like, the daily day workies in this office would be great.
1: Nats, I wonder what the salaries are like there. Like,
0: <laughs> You would hope pretty high for the stakes. <laughs>
1: also, who's paying them? Like, who who's the HR team that figured out that they have to sacrifice these people to uh, satiate these essentially the titans from greek mythology <laughs>
0: the elder gods yeah it's cthulhu and his buddies you know and yeah it's yeah that, that is again like i I want to know more about that like i'd read like a side novel about that you know it's like like the was corporate there a
1: these gods that like started a company type of thing in order to satiate them like the this just over time, of this ritualistic sacrifices, where it's like you just gather certain people and fucking kill them. And they were and like, it, "Well, hang on, that's not working anymore. We got to make a business out of this."
0: Yeah, and over time, like they had to adapt because it started in like you know actual sacrifices with robes and shit, and then like robes and knives, and and then like over time it evolved and had to become this big elaborate thing, and then they got. The gods must have been like, you know, we're bored with you just cutting out hearts and like sacrificing virgins. We want it to be a little more elaborate, you know. You got, you got. We've seen your horror movies. <laughs> we quite enjoy the slasher ones. <laughs> you need to put all of them in together and somehow recreate one of those every time, you know. <laughs> and it it really does. It is funny because all of the tropes that they hit are. Absolutely hilarious and so dead on. And there is even the line, which is weird because it, it can't, it had to have been Joss Whedon writing it, having enough power to keep it in, but also not having enough power for the other writer to control everyone else's reactions to it. It's when the quote unquote whore has to get topless. And it's when yeah. they're having sex in the woods. And everyone is kind of like, like the new security guard guy is kind of like, do we really have to watch this? And he's like, look. It's what the gods, Richard Jane is like, it's what they want. We have to do this. It's kind of like, we don't want her topless. We don't want to see it, but we have to make sure she does that because it's part of the ritual. And and then it's like, okay, I could see Joss Whedon writing the tits part. Mm-hmm. But then I could see the other writers, being, like Drew Goddard being like, look, man, they, they've they seen probably seen this so many times. It's They're just blasé to them. Like another t- another pair of tits, another pair of tits. It just, it's just another item to check off the list. So it's like that's why, like, Bradley Whitford and Richard Jenkins are watching it, just kind of like, come on, okay, there they are, and we can move on. <laughs> you know, it's, that's, like,
1: it's it almost gives me like Futurama vibes where the uh, the Omicronians come to earth and demand people finish like TV shows.
0: <laughs> oh, the Ally McBeal like finale yeah. that they never got or something.
1: Yeah, that or um, the one episode where I think it was one of the first episodes where they came back from getting canceled and it was like aliens who are destroying planets if they're too vulgar and the aliens and it's like Leela and Zap or like Zap tricks Leela into thinking they're on like a new Garden of Eden and stuff like that. Oh, (laughs)
0: yeah, 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 yeah. And the
1: aliens are like. The proverbial Adam and Eve must consummate their relationship for us to move on.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. It's like it it really is weird because Josh Whedon, to his credit, was a very creative writer. Granted, he did have some tropes and all but he did have a very like subversive way <laughs> of putting like pop culture references in, stuff like that, and just make it, but he is also kind of responsible for characters being very like self-aware of their situation is how ridiculous they might be in and in this though it, it takes that self-awareness and it takes away the like detached part of it where it's like yeah we're all, aren't we all just dead pools, like don't we all just know our existence is fictional like that kind, of, or it's just ridiculous like it takes the ridiculousness of it but <laughs> spins it to a purpose like it has yeah. to be done to save the world you know and our main characters don't know that because they're being manipulated so they don't have any of that Well, that happened, kind of like Marvel humor but what does crack me up is the various um, just kind of like the various one-liners that the fool has (laughs)
1: like
0: when the scholar and the virgin are talking on the couch and they're making out whatever and he happened the fool happens to walk by he's like he's got a husband bulge
1: <laughs> i was like, I'll write that line. I mean, the fool is the best character. I fucking love him.
0: And did you read? Did you read about why he's in such baggy clothes the whole time? No. Okay. Apparently, Chris Hemsworth, when they filmed this, hadn't been either hadn't been cast as Thor yet, or hadn't started working out for Thor yet. So he is just kind of like a dude that's in some decent shape. Then there was, um, Jesse. Ferguson, I don't know if it's Jesse Williams or Jesse Ferguson. The, the scholar. He apparently like we see him top like shirtless, so he's got a decent body. But apparently, the fool, the actor who plays him, was like just shredded. Like he was apparently shredded, and it was like we can't have him take his shirt off in this because that would kind of like remove the illusion of the like the stoner. <laughs> Like, yeah. what have you ever seen a Jack Stoner? You know, it's just not <laughs> a thing
1: <laughs> that that is funny,
0: and that's why, like, when they're all in the uh, at like in the uh, jumping into the lake, he's on the dock, like, in his like long sleeve shirt and like baggy, like, board shorts and shit. <laughs> so apparently, he was just caught up, which I do.
1: So, the ending sequence of this movie. Is really fucking cool. Like when you see them in the cubes and stuff, and all of the kind of knockoff monsters, and then you get to the end, and I love Sigourney Weaver's like oh, the Virgin doesn't have to die. You just have to be fucking traumatized. <laughs> yeah,
0: she's just got to be last. You know, she's just got to be last. And as Bradley Whitford says, like, yeah, survive the Virgin is optional. She just has to, she has to suffer, and you know she can die or she can't die. It's like either way, but like,
1: which I feel like, a like cool, cool
0: with the final girl trope. Like that's what, it, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, uh, but of course with the Buckners, the zombie pain, uh, worshiping family, apparently they do mention at one point that they have a 100% clearance rate. So these dudes are always successful every time, which means a dead virgin, when they come up is always dead. You know, yeah. there is no way she survives. <laughs> And it is it is funny because we only hear Sigourney's voice at one point, and then she finally shows up at the end, and it's like, why is it that Sigourney Weaver being this person is like perfect costume? <laughs> I don't well, know it's how because, to because it.
1: it's because she's basically the uh a more nefarious version of the whole camp owner.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's yeah like you mentioned that whole that final sequence that and this is one of the things that i'll mention that the blackening was actually missing that i was craving more of that sequence when they do the system purge which a why is there a system purge button (laughs) like that shouldn't be a button. Especially given what the system is holding. You definitely should not have a way to purge that.
1: There's no scenario where I think that button should be pressed.
0: Right. Unless it comes down to those preachers can take out whatever needs to be taken out to prevent the destruction of the world. Then yes, system purge. But I don't think you would need the entire system to do that. There's no scenario where all of them would be needed. But So when all of the the monsters are taken out and they're just raining blood and gore all over that elevator sequence and all that. It's like, yes, this is great. This is awesome. This is the shit I'm looking for. This is the gore. These are the tropes that I want. And that's the thing in the Blackening that we just don't get. Like, we do not get the comedic gore, basically. We don't get the comedic dust. Yeah. Like, you say we get ready or not. Um, but it's, it, is, it is such a great like send up of all of the horror tropes and it's it's funny because it's not it's a sort of semi-serious version of that and it doesn't it definitely doesn't stoop to the level of like scary movie where it's like hey remember this reference isn't this funny kind of thing it's
1: it's not quite as serious as like scream in terms of breaking down horror movies but it's like a step below in terms of seriousness right scream has comedy in it but it is a horror movie this is like blend borderline horror movie with a lot more comedy but it's not a full-blown comedy like the blackening or like a dumb spoof comedy
0: yeah exactly yeah it's and that's i mean that's what makes it great other than joss whedon's you know retroactive involvement like now that we know he's a fucking creep you know it's like it, it kind of taints his aspects of it but like i said watching this movie you don't immediately go oh this is joss whedon you know this is this is he's fucking reading it out it's, it is it is a lot better only kind of knowing that he just kind of wrote it and then you can watch the movie and there's only those two creepy moments but the one of which is necessary whereas the first one where we see our virgin in her underwear for no absolutely zero reason it's except for the joke that hemsworth makes after he tells her what better book to use in the class to make the professor think she's smarter than she is or whatever thinks or thinks she knows more and then he stops and then he pauses and he goes and you have no pants on and then he just walks away and then she's like oh my god like i didn't even notice i was walking around my underwear it's like i'm that clueless <laughs> I'm that clueless and I was completely like pantsless with my friends just roaming around my house because that's what kid, that's what college kids do, you know. Of course, I don't know. I haven't been to college in quite some time. Like you've been there much more recently than me. I mean, maybe people are just walking around in their underwear casually packing suitcases. I don't know.
1: You know, I didn't encounter it, but I'm sure someone's done it.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's like statistically speaking, someone almost had to do it. You know, yeah. it's. Right. all right. So that was cabin in the woods. Mike, how is your beer?
1: It is good. Um, I'm just about done my second one and it's delicious. Stoneyard did a great job of uh really getting some apple pie and light beer combos going.
0: Nice, yeah. And I finished my bone Toberfest. and now I broke out the Das Bestie. It's my last one from Icarus Brewing and uh, it's their German style Kolsch ale that I've had a few times for a couple different episodes and. It's funny, because it does have... I don't know if I mentioned it before. It's got this, like, Magneto helmet on it. Like, as the logo. But there's nothing, like, mentioning, like, Magneto or anything. It's weird. But, anyway. So, on to the final movie. And, by far, other than, you know, the classic, legendary, Adamus Family. By far the best movie that I've watched in quite some time recently.
1: The best new movie.
0: Absolutely. And it's the blackening from uh, twenty twenty-three, as I, I miss probably misspoke earlier. Directed by Tim Story. Now, Tim Story, you may not know him. He is not Tim Miller, who is the Deadpool guy. He's Tim Story. He is barbershop. He is taxi. He is the unfortunately the terrible Fantastic Four movies. Well, they're all bad, but he's the Chris Evans, Jessica Alba ones. Uh Right Along One and Two, the Shaft Remake, and Tom and Jerry is what this man is responsible for. But This movie, although the title card tells you that it is based on true events, that never happened. This is based off of a sketch, a comedy sketch, and the sketch itself, I had Mike watch it before we started. The sketch itself is phenomenal. It is absolutely hilarious.
1: It it truly inherits the tagline of we can't all die first.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's and. The funny part is, it was written by Dwayne Perkins, who plays Dwayne in the movie. He's the gay guy in the movie. And he's not gay guy. Well, he's not the openly gay one in the sketch, <laughs> but he is in the sketch. And it's it's so funny, because the sketch itself is maybe five minutes long, and it's, it's, it is adapted into the movie. It's brought into the movie in one specific scene where it's part of the game that they're playing, part of the blackening game that they're playing, which is basically like racist Jumaji. <laughs> and... the,
1: the funniest fucking part of that, which is a little bit sad now because Chandler just passed away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. RIP Matthew Perry. That's uh, a, that, that that's a shame.
1: But when they're talking, when it's like, name five black characters and friends, and, like, they're, they're all acting like they don't watch it, and then they start naming them, and the board game just goes, I don't know, I never watched that shit. <laughs> okay.
0: So then they all start their response with, I didn't watch that shit, but I do know that Aisha Tyler was on it, or whatever Once, was. You know, it's like, yeah, the correct answer was, I didn't watch that shit. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, Matthew Perry, I mean. I, I was not a fan of Friends, but the Whole Nine Yards is fun to watch. You know, yeah, I, uh, you I'm not know a that.
1: Friends fan, but if I had to pick one friend to survive, it would have been Matthew Perry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He would have been the guy, you know. And, uh, yeah, that's a shame. Though. What a weird death. You allegedly, you know, drowned in a hot tub, maybe a cardiac arrest event thing. Just a weird scenario going all around that. It's just very, uh, very odd and sucks. You know, it sucks for that. It really sucks, but. He would have been a great like park ranger type like Diedrich Bader plays in The Blackening. <laughs> A-K-A. Diedrich Bader
1: showing up was so great. He's like, I'm
0: one of the good ones. <laughs> like, oh, I mean, man, one of the good ones wouldn't say that, but okay. <laughs> what cracks me up is how he's introduced, though. <laughs> he's introduced like basically interrogating uh, Melvin Gregg's King, character of King. Mm-hmm. because he's like a black guy at this random cabin <laughs> he basically essentially kind of pulls him over he's like interrogating him, like why are you here you know black so people. it's the it's the trope Man. of the co- yeah it's the cop of the trope the the trope of the cops being like you know obviously very racist and profiling and all that but
1: but also is... it is a running joke in the movie where it's like black people shouldn't camp
0: yeah exactly and it what cracks me up though and it's gonna i'm going to do it in my the rest of my life jermaine fowler as clifton in this movie is phenomenal especially the way that we were induced to him saying the word hyundai yeah hyundai never not pronouncing it like that anymore it's always going to be hyundai from here
1: out oh god i wonder if you work with cars so i wonder what you're gonna, work, what
0: you're gonna say i do yes that would be, yeah, I mean, it's gonna be great well yeah i mean every every person be looking at me like what the fuck <laughs> no it's Hyundai, and that's how we're all gonna say it what <laughs> okay. even then we get like a crash because obviously mean, this movie is packed with great jokes and as two white guys and it is, and as an older white guy, my in my situation, it's it's funny because yes, you are laughing. I re- we all we both Mike and I recognize the tropes that they're that they are you know roasting and all that. But it's also funny because the white jokes, the jokes about white people, are some of the funniest ones in the movie oh, because sure. they're so damn accurate. <laughs> Like in Christmas, I forgot. Oh, what's the one at the one character's name? They're in. She's one of the girls in the car in the beginning. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's not, I don't think it's Lisa. It's not Lisa. Who is it? Damn it. Uh, is it Allison? who? Allison. Yes. Yes. Allison. Who's Allison? Because, uh, they're making like she says, I don't know. White people scare me. And I believe it is. Yeah, I believe it is Lisa that turns to her and says, Your daddy is white. She's like, Exactly. That's why every time he gets mad, I'm like, Oh, here it comes. Murder suicide. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, that's that's a painfully true joke. <laughs> I
1: I also found it hilarious where they when they're trying to figure out like who to call to get help, they're like, What do we do? Call the cops, they all just collectively. <laughs>
0: live. Sure live. Oh yeah, you mean at the very end? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. And then they call the
1: fire department, which is the funniest fucking ending.
0: I did not see that coming. It was oh man, that cracked me the fuck up. And it was and then there's of course the line, and it's from the sketch as well. The line that Danis is just whiteness wrapped up in a bunch of dick.
1: Yeah.
0: Like
1: you can see that. Know,
0: yeah, and then, of course, you know, Slifton's character saying he voted for Trump twice and they throw him out. And then, of course, right before he leaves, he just says, all lives matter. <laughs> all lives matter. <laughs> and then he runs out. If
1: I and have then, one complaint about the movie, it's like his motives.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. They are really contrived and weird. But...
1: And they almost are too serious for the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. It needed to be a little bit more jokey and that but it does it does kind of harken to that one horror trip that we always have in Slashers where there is that one person. Let's let's just point out to I know what you did last summer, who was doing like the long revenge, you know? They're the ones that are planning the anniversary murders, basically.
1: I also love the like the killers can't fight for shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you mean Gimp Al Jolson? Yeah, it's so great. The killers are wearing these leather Gimp masks that look like blackface. And it's, it's, again, just the choice of the killers. And it's like, wow, that is perfect, you know? (laughs) And what really cracks me up, though, is... The running gag that everyone can hear each other's thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like the two girls are looking at each other and they're just like exchanging looks, and it's supposed to be, at first, you think it's just this like they know each other so well that they can read each other's minds, kind of thing like that. Just a look is all they need to know what they're saying, and like the the vocalizing of the thoughts is just for the audience's benefit, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out that everyone actually can communicate telepathically, <laughs> and at the very end. When Dwayne turns to Nambi and he's trying to do the same thing, and then he goes, "Oh shit!" He turns to Clifton and he goes, "Did you hear all that?" Like in his head, he's like, "Did you hear all?" That? And then Clifton's like, "Yeah, I heard all." that. It's like, it's like way to bring a like a ridiculous joke like all the way, around, you know, and have it pay off so well.
1: Oh my god! And the the Kool Aid mix drink coming back and causing him to have cramps. Made so me- sugary.
0: <laughs> so much sugar in it. Yeah, that cracked me
1: up. This movie was just throwing through a great fucking
0: time. I I mean, I, of course, I have, we obviously had to rent it, but it's definitely one of those movies that's like multiple watches, you're gonna catch new lines because you're laughing too hard and some of the other lines slip by you, but yeah, and then it, it really cracks me up that the way it's also another smart thing to do, like for like the the um the killer tropes. When Dwayne, Lisa, and Namdi are hiding in that vent and the killer is going around with that signal blocker, and he turns off the blocker and all of their notifications start on their phone. So he's like <laughs> that's how he's like trying to find them. And I, I think it's Dwayne. It's like, hold up Kiki Palmer retweeted me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's it's it really is great. It's just, it's one of those it's one of those movies that like, I could see dumb people or racist being like, yeah, 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 whatever. It's just black people in a horror movie, you know what? But no, 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 no. Yes, that is accurate because that's what that is, and. It is a just complete and utter takedown of all of the racist-ass tropes in horror movies of black people dying first, and then just, like, cultural stereotypes and cultural, like, bullshit that's gone on recently, and it's all thrown in there, and, like, you can recognize if you have a sense of humor, you can recognize that shit in the world might suck, and these jokes are making fun of all that shit and, like, bringing these issues out, but it's still hilarious like it is not making you think like in a depressing way you know
1: yeah i it's again if you have a sense of humor you're gonna laugh at this movie
0: you should yeah if you don't you're dead inside you know there's you just don't you don't understand jokes you know like the running gag of which aunt viv was better you know and Vib and Fresh Prince. And that was one of the things, like, I'm playing Dark along. Dark
1: skin and is way better. Dark skin oh, way and
0: is She's absolutely way better. And the funny thing is, like, when the question started, like, I was playing along with the Black thing. I was, like, trying to answer the questions, too.
1: God, and I was, like, is...
0: with the and Vib one, I was, like, yeah, that's definitely season three. I'm pretty sure she was only in three seasons. <laughs> yeah,
1: but... my guess was season two. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, it's it's great. It, just, it really is. And it's one of those movies that I remember seeing the trailer for and going, oh, this movie's going to be funny. Like, this, it's one of those things when you also didn't think... It's also very good that if you watch the trailer, you don't get the whole movie either. Like, you... They, you
1: could tell from the trailer that it's not going to be something like a haunted house or something dumb like that.
0: Right, right. And it's going to be hard R, and it's going to be great. But like I said, with Kevin in the Woods... The drawback is we don't have any like comedically horrifying deaths. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the only people that die are our, and it, it is even a joke in the movie, is Jay Farrow and Morgan is the character. Now, I'm not, I, I apologize to the actress who played Morgan, Yvonne Orgy. I uh, hope I pronounced that right. Like, I'm not familiar enough with Insecure. It looks like she's on the show Insecure is her biggest credit. I don't watch that show, so maybe... she And they do kind of make the joke that they're like the Drew Barrymore in the beginning of Scream. So it's like, yes, Jay Farrow is a very recognizable face, you know? And I'm guessing if you're a fan of Insecure, she's a recognizable face as well. And of course, they're killed. You know? And Jay Farrow was killed in the opening scene, and then she's killed off-screen later, but the, it's like even that joke right there is great because when you see the trailer, you think that they're going to be in this movie, <laughs> and then they open up the movie and she dies with like an across because the killer's weapon's a crossbow. He dies with a crossbow through the neck, but that's about it. Like she's killed off screen. Well, Jermaine Fowler's Clifton is tossed in a well, and um, a Dijon Vader's character is killed basically off screen as well. And I was like. I kind of need some of these people to die. It, like, it, I it need was
1: some funny deaths.
0: Yeah. I mean, but like, it was really only the inciting incident deaths. And then, like, Deidre Bader died. Of course, the white guy dies. But it is funny that none of our main hero black folk, uh, black characters die. <laughs> it, it is the white guys. it's the white people that die. And, like I guess maybe that was part of the trope, but I don't know. I I kind of wanted more comedic deaths, like the over-the-top gore like we get in *Cabin in the Woods*, or or like, something just, like right even or like some
1: of the funny deaths, like uh, in *Tucker and Dale vs. Evil*.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> These kids got that suicide pact. <laughs> themselves out there, Himself <laughs> into a wood chamber. But yeah, it's. That's that's the thing. It was like that. That was like the only thing I. My only real complaint about the movie was that it didn't have that for an alleged horror comedy. You know, and most good horror comedies do at least have that going for them. uh, If their if their humor doesn't quite fit the bill, but this was again highly recommended. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, this movie's fucking phenomenal. So. That's been the end of our in-between week. Mike, before we talk about rom-com roulette, where can people find us on the internet?
1: You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Happy Hour Films Podcast. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and just about anywhere you get your podcasts from thanks to Spotify (laughs) Podcasts.
0: And there you go. So, now, we have the month of November that we're going to be doing. We're going to have four weeks of November. Now, for our YouTube channel, a while ago, my wife came up with the idea for a rom-com roulette, which was she would pick a bunch of movies, spin a wheel, and make us watch them. Now, when we dedicated our lives to our YouTube channel before House of the Dragon came out, and that's basically all we cared about, that was a potential idea we were going to throw in there. So now, since we had an opening in between, we tried to figure out what we were going to do in November. This is what we went for. Now, my wife created the, the came up with the movies, came up with the wheel spinning, and my daughter and my wife decided they were going to pick the movies and spin the wheels. So, week one, Mike and I. Now, the premise was that they would put in a whole bunch of rom coms, and then she put in at least one movie that she felt that we might actually enjoy and we would want to watch. Now, it didn't have to be a rom com, it might just be a regular movie. Uh, so, for the first week, we have two rom-coms and we have one of the quote-unquote good movies that we want to watch. And all of these movies, there was the chance that it could have been three terrible rom-coms. There is one week that I'm looking at that, man, I really want to kill myself, but it's going to be the last week, so you guys can have to wait for that one. But week one, we are going to be doing, I think we briefly touched on it in our episode about her. Sandra Bullock, Ryan Reynolds, and The Proposal. We will also be doing the Reese Witherspoon classic, in quotes, Sweet Home Alabama. And then the good movie will be Birds of Prey and The Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. Like, that will be the good one that we will not want to kill ourselves on, apparently. (laughs) But there are... I like
1: The Proposal better than that one.
0: Yeah. I mean, be like, I mean, if if we get to it, if we, I mean, because I've I've seen Birds of Prey, and I remember seeing the proposal, and I've been uh, subjected to Sweet Home Alabama. Yes, Birds of Prey will be the one that I would definitely be enjoying the most. But that and that's another movie. Like watching, I'm like, this could have, this could have done more. <laughs> you know, this could have done more. but It's not, it's not torturous like Sweet Home Alabama. God damn. But I mean, I'm looking at some of this, and yes. I hate to say it, but that large mouth billy bass, fucking walking creature, Julia Roberts will show up twice (laughs) this week. (laughs) I and you will hear me. I will. I will preface it now. I hate the woman. I hate almost every movie she did except the Ocean's movies. (laughs) I just hate her existence as an actress. And we, my wife, picked two of the biggest reasons why i hate that or why i hate that woman and stay tuned for the final week of the month because that'll be the one where you might hear me cock a shotgun on screen on uh on air and kill myself you know <laughs> i don't know it might happen who knows but until next week when we begin our rom-com roulette i have been ross bacon i've been mike mcwigan I we'll see you guys next time so long